Now that the Clintons are finished and Roy Moore is on the ropes, Democrats are spewing crocodile tears over their decades of covering up sexual abuse against women. We'll analyze their alleged repentance. Then Amelia Hamilton, Jacob Berry, and Candace Owens join the panel of deplorables to discuss that insufferable millennial card game, Cards Against Humanity, and its vow to subvert immigration law. The ironically named Global Atheist Convention, Reason to Hope, being canceled because no one wants to go, and the poetic diction of President Trump's latest tweets. I'm Michael Knowles. This is The Michael Knowles Show. Oh, we got a new vintage for the Leftist Tears Tumblr. We have a new vintage coming out this week. It is the Crocodile Tears Vintage. We haven't seen these in a very long time, but they are they are pouring out like, the likes of which we have not seen in a while. I need to subscribe a few more times just to contain them. Every Democrat across the spectrum is pouring out crocodile tears now that the Clintons are no longer useful. They can say, ah, well, yeah, Bill wasn't so nice to women, and yeah, well, Hillary intimidated all of his victims and smeared them in the press and ruined their lives. But yeah, it was we shouldn't have done that. But hey, we've changed now because Roy Moore is on the ropes. Just for context, let's look at a Bill Clinton accuser and alleged rape victim, Juanita Broderick. And he tries to kiss me again. And the second time he tries to kiss me, he starts biting on my lip. Just a minute. He starts to uh, bite on my top lip. And I try to pull away from him. And then he forces me down on the bed. And I just was very frightened. And I tried to get away from him and I told him no. And I didn't want this to happen. But he wouldn't listen to me. Did you resist? Did you tell him to stop? Yes, I told him, please don't. He was such a different person at that moment. He was just a, a vicious, awful person. Is there any way at all that Bill Clinton could have thought this was consensual? No, not with what I told him and with how I tried to push him away. It was not consensual. Do you know how the Clinton campaign and the Clinton machine tried to explain this at the time? They said, I think it was James Carville said this, well, you drag a $100 bill through a trailer park, you see what happens. That's how, he, that's how he explains away all of these accusers, like Juanita Broderick. Well, the tune has changed today. I wonder what's different now. I wonder what's different now in 2017 than it was when Bill Clinton and the Clinton machine was a, a force in Democratic politics. Hmm, I wonder what it could be. The Atlantic ran a headline, Bill Clinton, a reckoning. They wrote, quote, if Weinstein and Mark Halpern and Louis C.K. and all the rest can be held accountable, so can our former president and so can his party, which so many Americans so desperately need to rise again. There it is. There's the whole argument. We just desperately need the Democrats to rise again, and that's why we're willing to do it. At least The Atlantic was honest about their motives for uh, 
kicking Bill to the curb and admitting that they're horrible hypocrites over this issue for 20 years, 30 years. Matt Iglesias at Vox was not so honest. He said, quote, what he did to Monica Lewinsky was wrong and he should have to pay the price. He should have paid the price. At the time, I, like most Americans, was glad to see Clinton prevail and regarded the whole sordid matter as primarily the fault of congressional Republicans' excessive scandal mongering. Now, looking back after the election of Donald Trump, the revelations of massive sexual harassment at Fox, the news stories about Harvey Weinstein and others in the entertainment industry, and the stories about Roy Moore's pursuit of sexual relationships with teenagers, I think we got it wrong. Oh, do you now? Do you now? That's, well, that's convenient timing, isn't it? Well, at the time, I was thrilled that they brushed all of this under the rug. But now we could use it against Republicans. Now we got Donald Trump. There's some allegations against him from random people. There are uh, obviously the allegations against Roy Moore. So mm, I think I've changed my tune now. And do I have to protect Bill Clinton anymore? No, I don't. Is Hillary going to run again? Probably, but she's useless. Okay, good. Now we can move on. Uh, the Jake Tapper. Uh, Jake Tapper, uh, he, we should play this clip first. This is Jake Tapper just within the last few days talking about Bill Clinton, the Juanita Broderick affair in light of Roy Moore. Maybe it's, you know something, uh, and maybe it's the southern accent that reminds me of this, but uh, I think we are in, and we've seen, we've seen some of this in the press. There was a story in the Atlantic called Bill Clinton, a reckoning. Uh, Chris Hayes uh, said something the other day, uh, and other people have. Um, but the accusers uh, of Bill Clinton back in the 90s uh, were never given the credence and uh, treated with the same respect uh, that these women are being treated. Uh, and I think that there is something to be said about how society has evolved since then. But in addition, it's hard not to look back at that period and think, you know what, the media treated those, poor, those women poorly. Yeah, without a doubt. Um, you can't rewrite history. But what I am concerned about now is that I see a lot of Republicans, people like Ann Coulter on Twitter, going back and bringing up people like Senator Kennedy, um, Clinton, other people that did have previous acts of sexual misconduct, almost as a way of saying, well, they did it. We can, too. Well, you can't rewrite history. That's what she said. Well, you can't rewrite history. What can you say? But let's talk about more Republicans. Yeah, well, I know, Jake, you brought up uh, Bill Clinton. But look, you can't rewrite history. Isn't that right? Now, good on Tapper for bringing this up, I guess. But again, this timing is just so absurd that uh, it's really hard for me to take him seriously. He wrote a piece, by the way, during the cl biggest Clinton scandal, Monica Lewinsky. He wrote a piece for Washington City Paper titled, I Dated Monica Lewinsky. He went on a date with her, I guess. He said, quote, physically, she was pleasant without being overwhelming. She's a little chubby, but she's leaps and bounds prettier than that vacuous mugshot beamed all over the world. And I will say he does sort of defend her in that piece, but he trotted her out for a good tabloid article in that paper when he was just a young reporter, just like everybody else. And he's had this epiphany, the epiphany that, oh, we should have been harder on Bill Clinton, just right after the Clintons are no longer useful to them, and it would be it would benefit Democrats to sweep them under the rug, because Jake Tapper, par excellence in recent years, Flax for Democrats. Uh, in the New York Times, Michelle Goldberg, an op-ed columnist, wrote a piece called, quote, I believe Juanita. Now, she actually goes further in this piece than her co-partisans, and she defends the Democrats at the time. But uh, she says there were plenty of reasons to disbelieve Paul, Paula Jones, some of the accusers, etc. But nevertheless, we should throw Bill under the bus now because he isn't useful to us anymore. It isn't just Bill Clinton, though. Democrat anti-Trump fanatic Louis C.K. has gone down. Anthony Weiner very famously has gone down. Bizarrely, John Stewart was good friends, even a roommate, with both of them. Uh, here is John Stewart talking about Louis C.K., his good pal. 
good friend and colleague Louis yes. C.K. Yes. has been accused of and has admitted to yeah. some lewd acts involving women. What was the impact on you when you heard not only the, the accusations but his admission? Um, <laughs> stunned, I think. Is that right? That's right. Is it? Well, what is your? Hey, John. So I'm going to put you on the spot with your good friend of decades, whom you know very well, and you actually were asked this question last year, and you decided to punt on it. What was? What, what happened when you found out that he's a sexual pervert? Uh, stunned. Yeah, that, that's the ticket. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that's the ticket. I was completely stunned. Give me a break. There is this weird thing with Stewart too, because he's famously been good friends with Louis C.K. for a very long time. He obviously knew about this. If if everyone else knew about this, his good buddy John Stewart knew about this. But he also was roommates with Anthony Weiner. So when the first when uh, Andrew Breitbart broke the Anthony Weiner sexting scandal or tweeting scandal, he it wouldn't cover it on the show. He wouldn't cover it for days and days and days. And eventually he said, well, look, I'm pals with Anthony Weiner. We used to live together in Hoboken, I believe. And eventually he, he had to cover it. He was forced to because it was so absurd. He wasn't covering the most salacious story in politics. But a, kind of a weird thing that Jon Stewart is pretty tight with both of the, the uh, most extreme sexual deviancy stories in Democratic politics in the last uh, decade or two. A little odd. I'm not accusing him of anything, but quite a coincidence. Uh, then, of course, there's Hillary Clinton. It all goes back to Hillary Clinton. Hillary famously said on the campaign trail, all accusers should be believed. Uh, but, of course, she then was in charge of the bimbo eruptions at the White House. She didn't believe those accusers. She uh, stepped in in 2010, we've learned, to overturn President Bush's ban of a European Islamist, Tariq Ramadan, who is the grandson of the founder of the Muslim Brotherhood. Uh, Bush had banned him from the United States. She personally stepped in to approve his visa. Ramadan has been accused of rape and sexual assault by three women in the last 10 days. She also publicly said that Juanita Broderick was not credible. And Juanita, by the way, says that Hillary Clinton pressured her to stay silent. So she said Bill raped her, and then Hillary came up to her, pressed her hand, and said, we appreciate everything you do for us, and then looked it into her eyes and said, that means everything. I appreciate everything that you do for us, implying keeping quiet about the rape. Now, Juanita Broderick is firmly convinced that Hillary knew, Hillary pressured her, Hillary covered it up. Democrats now who are conveniently saying, yes, I believe Juanita. It took 20, 30 years, but yeah, now I believe Juanita. Okay, put your money where your mouth is, because if you believe Juanita, then you, then you have to believe her whole account, right? You can't just say, well, I believe this, but I don't believe this. She's trustworthy here, but she's a liar here. You have to give evidence for that. If you believe Juanita, then you believe that Hillary Clinton knew about the rape. Hillary Clinton pressured her to stay silent, intimidated her, and smeared uh, other victims of Bill Clinton. And if you're willing to do that, then look at yourself in the mirror and ask what changed? What made you believe Juanita? Because you voted for the woman. You did the, everything within your power to put her into the White House just 12 months ago. Very convenient timing from Democrats. I'm not buying a bit of it. For further analysis, we bring on our panel of deplorables. We have an excellent panel today. Candace Owens, Jacob Berry, Amelia Hamilton. Thank you for being here. Amelia, your first time on the panel. Appreciate it. Hi. Candace, you have been red-pilled. That's, that's your name. That's your screen name on the internet. So this sort of thing can happen. People can change their minds on plenty of things. Is there any chance that this change of heart is earnest, or is it just totally cynical nonsense? 
It's absolutely not earnest. And in that clip that you just showed, it's just proof of that because they're almost throwing it back on conservatives. They hate when a mirror is held up to them. They're throwing it back on conservatives. Well, how dare conservatives say this or say that because they are being called out on their hypocrisy. And if it was at all genuine, then you're going to have to explain to me why they just tried very seriously to put Bill Clinton back in the White House. Right. That's exactly it. It's so recent. And and the saying, well, we can't blame Hillary. No, if you believe Juanita, then you have to blame Hillary. Hillary, Hillary is deeply uh, at fault here. Amelia, in the 1990s, feminists came to Bill's defense, led by Gloria Steinem. They defended him because he shared their policy priorities. Is this such a bad thing? Policy questions of freedom, justice, security, national priorities. Should they really be derailed because men are dogs? I think that you can probably find a man who isn't a dog, who shares some of your beliefs, um, who shares some of your policy positions, and those are probably the men to support. But, but I mean, particularly in these moments. So I, I'm as as a man, as someone who identifies as a man, I will say, we're all dogs. Every man is a dog. We all fall short of the glory of God, and God is dog spelled backwards. By the way, is that a coincidence? I don't know. It is not. But in cases like these guys, is Gloria Steinem justified? Are Republicans in Alabama justified? Especially in Alabama, where you say all of the accusations are 40 years ago. They're, they seem credible to me, but regardless, we're talking about issues of freedom, national politics. Politicians, by definition, are scumbags. Should we? <laughs> Uh, should we vote for them anyway, or should we allow the, this personal behavior from these dogs to uh, to derail a political agenda? No, we need to have some kind of standards. And, you know, this is, seems like a pretty, pretty low bar to be able to pass. And just because they share certain political beliefs, they still have to be decent human beings. Um, you know, and like you said, politicians, they tend to be little, uh, like you said, scumbags. <laughs> but you know, we can't we can't just let things of this nature especially go because they share certain policy beliefs. We have to, like I said, have some kind of standards here. But should we unilaterally disarm? I mean, this is the trouble. A, a lot of the commentary today on Clinton is if we had only held him accountable, then maybe politics wouldn't have degraded itself such as it is. You know, the founder of the Treasury Department, a founding father, Washington's aide-de-camp, Alexander Hamilton, a famously cuckolded a man named James Reynolds. It was the first sex scandal in American <laughs> history. And uh, John Adams, second president, said there weren't enough whores in Philadelphia to contain his superabundance of secretions, rather. Uh, obviously, there is, I, I see a running theme in American politics. Had Democrats held Bill Clinton to account in the 90s, would we see a politics that is not so degraded today? I think politics is always going to be degraded. And like you said, it always has been. I think we just need to hold everyone accountable always. They should have done it then. We need to keep doing it now. Um, I think things are a lot more public now. We've got social media. We've got everything else. Um, so I think that's in a lot of ways a good thing. People know what's happening now. Things are being made public. And now that they are being made public, we need to do something about it. All right. That's what we have to do. It is all very public now. And this whole show is public for all of you up to this point. I'm sorry. If you don't subscribe to thedailywire.com, I have to say goodbye to Facebook and YouTube. I know we have so much more to cover today. We have the poetic diction of Donald Trump's tweets. We have that stupid game cards against humanity and we make fun of atheists. But you can only do it if you go to dailywire.com right now. You haven't even heard from Jacob Era yet, but at 
probably that's incentive to just log off right now. Uh, if you go to uh, Facebook and, or rather, if you go to dailywire.com, what do you get? You get me. You get the Andrew Clavin Show. You get the Ben Shapiro Show. Yada, 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 yada. But look at this, folks. The leftist tears tumbler with all of the crocodile tears pouring out from all corners today. You better get it. You're going to have to get the Atlantic vintage, the New York Times vintage, the Jake Tapper vintage, on and on and on. So go over there right now. By the way, mailbags tomorrow. If you subscribe today, you can submit a question. I will change your life for the better ASAP. So go there. Dailywire.com. We'll be right back. Okay, we have a lot of news to cover. The card game, insufferable millennial card game, Cards Against Humanity, is running a holiday promotion to buy a lot of vacant land along the U.S.-Mexico border and prevent Trump's wall. This game is the worst. Uh, it, it is, for those of you who haven't played it, it's uh, like a pretentious version of apples to apples or Mad Libs so that uh, skittish liberals can, can say some naughty words and giggle. It, it after one or two plays, all of the fun of it is gone. You know they'll they'll have a, a one card that says our class trip was ruined by blank, and then it'll just have a a bunch of cards that have different bodily fluids or racial epithets on it or something. So it's funny for a little bit, and they they bill it as a party game for horrible people. In reality, though, it's just a game for liberals so that they can say some naughty things because political correctness is so awful, then they all giggle at how terrible it is and, and they know, well, we're not the real horrible people. We're not the horrible people who, you know, ride tractors and vote for Republicans and things like that. We're just, we're, we just sip Chardonnay in New York and, and giggle at all of these uh, mean things. So Jacob, is Cards Against Humanity, which bills itself as un-PC, has it gone full political correctness now? Oh, absolutely. This is, I've never, I've personally never played it. You know, I, uh, as far as my board games, I have higher standards, but, uh, or excuse me, my card games. But I'm, uh, I think this is just them doing some virtually, virtue signaling. I know some of their cards have gotten them in trouble in the past. And, you know, people still buy it, they still play it. But I think this is just them saying, hey, yeah, our, our card game, it may be politically incorrect, but look at us. You know, they're, they're, doing, the, they're doing the grandstanding on, on the border, as they like to, as they like to say. Well, that's like Bill Clinton, right? Yeah, sure, I abuse women in positions below me, but, you know, abortion, right? Exactly. I'm good on abortion. <laughs> Candace, the millennial generation, is known. It is known by its overwhelming performance of apathy. This is just something I've noticed. All the music is very apathetic. Everyone gets tattoos everywhere. It's an expression of, of philosophic nihilism. You know, everything's whatever, man, and we're all going to die someday. Yet, these guys are so triggered by Donald Trump. Uh... To look at things with the glass half full, is this evidence that at least this culture of nihilism is crumbling? Um, I can't look at this with the glass half full, so I'm going <laughs> <laughs> to say that what this is is dramatic irony. It, it tells you why people can't take millennials seriously. I mean, they put together this game, Cards of Humanity, which you mentioned is supposed to be this super non-political, we get to say what we want, but they can't bear the thoughts of not allowing people that don't belong into this country to run in here freely and drive up everybody's taxes. I mean, this is this is why people can't stand liberals. Everything they do is hypocritical and it's ironic in all of the bad ways that you can talk about irony. 
And, and it's ironic because it's within confines, right? They say, oh, yeah, we could say all these, you know, bad things, but only within this certain social convention that we've all agreed right. is perfectly fine. Right. And we all have to look at each other and, OK, you're not saying I'm not serious. OK, good, good, good. <laughs> Amelia, on that point, in the old days, card games used to be complicated and creative yeah. games used to require creativity. Cards Against mm -hmm. Humanity is a very simple card game and it completely precludes creativity. You can't be creative at all. What does the decay of games say about our culture? <laughs> well, decay of culture. Um, you know, I think it really just, again, goes back to that lowest common denominator. It's like, let's all get together and say some horrible things. No, there's no need to have any creativity. There's no need to think about it. Um, you know, it supplies you with the horrible things to say. You don't even need to think of those on your own. Um, you know, at least like you were saying with Mad Libs, you had to think of something. So, you know, people aren't getting together and doing something creative, having some fun. They're just saying some words that were already supplied to them. And they're all, and they're so absurd. I mean, sometimes right. it's absurd things can be funny, but it gets old. It gets old and tedious pretty quickly. Right. You would think though that a culture that is decadent, a culture that has fallen into disrepair and nihilism, you would think that it would make its recreation complicated and because that's what it's own, that's what it's focused on. But instead, this is just the laziest game ever. Is it is it evidence of a a sloth in, in the millennial generation, or am I reading too much into this stupid game? <laughs> no, I think absolutely. You know, this is the, the Postmates kind of of games where everything is just being handed to you, and you just, you just sit there and throw your cards out, and there's nothing else required. Nothing and no creativity, no strategy, just this is mine, here we go. I'm yep. marching off to the grave. The third, speaking <laughs> of that, speaking of all of those philosophic ideas, the third annual Global Atheist Convention, ironically called Reason to Hope, has been canceled because nobody wanted to go. Amelia, after a decade of totally undeserved plaudits given to Richard Dawkins, Daniel Dennett, Sam Harris, uh, Christopher Hitchens, whose writing I enjoy, but whose thoughts aren't that smart, has uh, has atheism peaked? Are we headed right now for a religious reawakening? You know, I think <laughs> I think it's possible. Um, you know, people really are searching for some kind of meaning, and people used to get it from things like religion. And you know, now we're finding, you know, people are going to you know, the theology of Harry Potter talks. You know, where they find out, you know, following that as sort of some kind of a religious experience. And people are really searching for that kind of meaning, for that kind of guidance in their lives. And they they aren't finding it from the traditional places. And I think maybe we're going to see people turning back to that. Yeah, I think they should look to the traditional places because they're not finding it in Harry Potter. It is so sad <laughs> that our generation, that the, the myth is Harry Potter. That's right. what we're grounding our <laughs> mythical thinking in. It's really, really pathetic. I think Harold Bloom said it would be better for, the literary critic Harold Bloom said that it would be better for children to watch television than to read Harry Potter because all of, whenever, as no one ever just takes a walk. They all It's all these awful cliches like, oh, I'm going to stretch my legs. They always just stretch their <laughs> legs and just take a walk. Candace, there is significant evidence that the post-millennials, this is the cause for hope. I'm going to make you hopeful before the end of this show, so help me God. Uh, there's significant evidence that the post-millennials, Gen Z, are far more religious and church-going than we millennials because, as Amelia just said, they're looking for meaning. What What is causing this return to religion? Obviously, they're looking for meaning, but what... Uh, what is the, the immediate cause in our time of that? 
I don't really know. That's a really good question. Maybe when you get to a point and you have so much invested um, in the books written by J.K. Rowling, and then you read her Twitter feed, you realize that you made <laughs> you made a wrong turn. <laughs> and uh, right, yeah. So right after you get off of her Twitter feed, you realize that you need God in your life, and you are going down a path. That's a and profound so thought, actually, because the this generation has made gods out of people who do not deserve to be gods. They've made gods out right? of celebrities. They've made profits out of J.K. Rowling. And then you look at their behavior, you look at their Twitter feed, you look at everything and you realize that everybody falls short of the glory of God and s certainly Hollywood is, you know, we all fall short, but those guys fall like a lot shorter. And uh, so that might be it. There's been a betrayal by our gods and even the philosophic gods that we've made for ourselves, environmentalism, all of the ideologies that have come to replace Marxism and therefore traditional religion, they've, they've failed us. We don't, uh, I, I don't know if it would be too far to say, you know, Nietzsche thought that God is dead, but really we've learned that all the other things are dead too, and we have to go back to that first one. Jacob, right. the irony of this convention title is that atheism, of course, means there is no hope. We just, we're born, we die, we turn to worm food, you know, good play. Yet, in every civilization at all times throughout history, man has demonstrated a longing for God. Is this just a cosmic joke on mankind, or is that longing evidence that God exists? I think that the longing is evidence that God exists. As, as far as, you know, reasons to hope, I think it's more the, the very title of the conference tells me that it's not just atheism ha that has peaked, it's nihilism that has peaked. Because, you know, it's funny when Jerry Seinfeld is doing it, right? You know, a show about nothing. But no one wants to think that their life means nothing. They don't expect it to be, you know, like William Shakespeare or Dr. King Jr., but they want their life to have some sort of meaning. And it's funny, Seinfeld is funny because it's absurd. Exactly. We're not, we're laughing at these people with their meaningless <laughs> problems exactly. and meaningless lives. And that's why I think that it's kind of, it was kind of ironic that they called it a reason to hope, because if atheism is true, there is no reason to hope. You know, it, it's always going to be the the greater species is always going to conquer the lesser species because that's just how uh, Darwinianism works. But I think that that yes, that longing is a sign that God exists out there. And this uh, convention is a sign that God exists. I've always <laughs> the fact found that it got canceled is a sign that God yeah. exists. In my yeah. experience of God, he's a pretty whimsical fella, <laughs> and so the atheists name this convention absurdly a reason for hope, and then. In itself, it's a reason to despair. It's the opposite of hope. And then it gets canceled, and we get a reason to hope. He, God can turn everything, even the death of his own son, for, for good, even the fall of mankind, for good. A Felix culpa. Okay, speaking of reasons to hope, we have to get to Trump's uh, torrent of grade A, 100% pure covfefe tweets since his return from Asia. Among them... Quote, while in the Philippines, I was forced to watch CNN, which I have not done in months, and again realized how bad and fake it is. Loser. Loser. Another quote. Do you think the three UCLA basketball players will say, thank you, President Trump? They were headed for 10 years in jail. And then another great one. The failing New York Times hates the fact that I have developed a great relationship with world leaders like Xi Jinping, president of China. By the way, capitalization is getting up a little wonky in some of these. They should realize that these relationships are a good thing, not a bad thing. To U.S., 
the U.S. is being respected again. Watch trade. It is actually hard to believe how naive or dumb the failing New York Times is when it comes to foreign policy. Weak and ineffective. <laughs> oh, God, just a moment of, oh, a moment of applause. Oh. So what a, he, it, it is so... It is so poetic. Jacob, to play devil's advocate, if this were a Democrat doing this, we would be losing our minds. We would be going insane with anger. Is it okay to applaud Trump's tweets, as I just did, just because he's a Republican? Well, not just because he's a Republican, but I absolutely, and even me, I've said many times on this show, I'm a Trump skeptic. I'm not, I'm not a never Trumper and I'm not on the Trump train, but I'm a Trump skeptic. But I actually admire this about Trump. Republicans have forever been saying, hey, let's ha we need a president who will stick it right to the media. And so I'm actually enjoying this greatly. I think it's a thrill ride. And maybe, you know, if, if, Barack, if President Obama had done this, you know, I might have been a little disturbed by it. But hey, I, uh, you know, call me hypocrite if you want, but I am enjoying it uh, completely because uh, President Trump just has this way of doing it where you just have to laugh. You just go, oh my gosh, you know, he just took on the New York Times and CNN and it was amazing. If, if Obama had done it, it would be totally bizarre and <laughs> terrifying. And, but it's because of how they've built their careers. Right. Both of them, both Obama and Trump, built their careers such that they exposed enough of themselves that aspects of them that, sh that might scare people are no longer scary. So Barack Obama did this in his book, uh, Dreams from My Father. He talked about how his father was a Muslim bigamist, basically, then <laughs> atheist, I suppose. And he was raised in these Muslim schools in Indonesia, and he did a bunch of coke, and he was around radical leftists, and he was friends with leftist terrorists. And the thing about that book, I will say, by the end of it, you're not afraid of him. He makes it not scary. Mm -hmm. Same with Trump. If you just flew in from Mars right now, you would say the Earth is on the brink of collapse. But if you followed Trump for 40 years and you followed his uh, influences as a matter of persuasion and rhetoric and media, you say, no, I see where this is coming from. I see what he's doing here. Now, to your point on the culture warrior, Amelia, many of the so-called conservatives who have spent decades calling for culture warriors are now oh. demurring because Trump is waging those battles. Is the Donald the culture warrior that we have been waiting for? Well, I guess it depends on who we is. Are. <laughs> <laughs> we on the right. We broadly as conservatives, b before well, uh, the Trumpianism came in, the conservative movement yeah. of Bill Buckley and Bill Crystal and Irving Crystal and Pedhoritz yeah, and all I those guys. I would say no. <laughs> for that group, I would say no. Um, you know, I don't think that he's necessarily helpful. I think that the the message uh, frequently gets drowned in the messenger, in the delivery. Um, so, so while I think the culture war is important, I don't think it's necessarily being waged in the most helpful way that it could be. But I, I wonder with that because people say, "Oh, if he'd only said it more politely, then then it, it would work." But I, I don't I don't really see that. George yeah. W. Bush was a very polite man. He didn't do a terribly bang up job in the culture war. And with Donald Trump, he misspells a word, he capitalizes a word wrong, he chooses strange language, and then it's mm -hmm. all we can talk about. His tweets are all anyone has talked about for two years. Is it is yeah. it not possibly the case? that for people, and I don't mean to call out these guys, I like them personally, but Bill Kristol and Jonah Goldberg and the, ne the Never Trump crowd out of NR and, and Weekly Standard, is it possible just that they wanted this culture warrior, they wanted to fight the culture, and they had a vision of it, 
and they didn't expect it to look like this. And so now that we get, no one expected it to look like this, <laughs> now that we have it, that we don't recognize it. You know, I really, I mean, that's, that's certainly possible. Um, I don't know. I still think that it's just not quite, quite the warrior that we wanted. <laughs> you guys are depressing me. You're very, you and know, Candace, you're, come I'm on, sorry. man. The glass is half empty all around. <laughs> <laughs> Jacob, you got to make me feel better at some point. Uh, but Candace, first make me feel worse. The Washington Post ran a story today, quote, Trump's Asia trip was hardly the success he says it was. That was in the news section. That was not an op-ed. That was not an editorial. They <laughs> filed that under news. They passed that off under news. Of course, they offered no evidence. It was absolute tripe, uh, the, the so-called foreign policy analysis. If the Washington Post and CNN and the New York Times are going to behave like children without any journalistic standards, having to recant stories, having to fire uh, uh, reporting staff, then shouldn't we treat them like the children that they are? Shouldn't President Trump t treat them like the children that they are? I think altogether we need to stop talking about the Washington Post. That is Jeff Bezos' personal, <laughs> like, that is Jeff Bezos personal diary, okay? His feelings, <laughs> his thoughts go into there. Then people are his feelings and thoughts, which aren't based in facts, um, are written for the world. Everybody understands the Washington Post is literally just his play toy at this point. To go back to your earlier point, I absolutely love what Trump is doing. I think he is the cultural warrior that people were looking for, um, people meaning us people um, that hold jobs. And when we watch our TV screens, we are so tired of hearing politicians. We are so tired of somebody making something that's horrible, sound great, wrapping it into a bow and presenting to us the same BS that we get all the time. We want somebody who talks like us. When I look at the TV and I'm watching CNN and they're lying to me, I'm going, loser. You know, <laughs> and Bad. that is Donald Trump is able to do so effectively. He talks like he's talking to the people, for the people. He's not dressing anything up in a tuxedo. And I just, I wanted to make your day better, Michael, by letting you know that I think he is the cultural warrior Finally. that we Finally. all needed. <laughs> I cannot get enough of his tweets. It's the best thing since Kanye West. Love him both. <laughs> and I love your point of talking about people. He's a guy who doesn't uh, speak in this mealy-mouthed particular language of politics. He speaks like regular people speak. Don't get me wrong. I am all for elites. I am all for elitism and elites, but they have to actually be elites. Uh, they have to be royals. They have to be aristocrats. They have to be seriously educated and wise and sophisticated and well-behaved. And these people who have been pretending to be elites for decades and decades in American politics simply are not. I, there is absolutely no reason for me to respect journalists at CNN or the New York Times or Jeff Bezos's personal letter to the world or <laughs> There's no reason they're not actually elites. They don't know anything. They don't possess wisdom. So give me an elite and I'll consider respecting them. But until then, give me a, give me a straight talker. Absolutely right. Okay, panel, excellent to have you here. You took me on a journey of emotions. I was so depressed. I was so happy there at the end. Amelia, thank you for being here first time. Candace Owens and Jacob Berry, thanks for coming back. We will talk to you all again soon. That's our show. That's the whole thing, folks. I got to get out of here to read the thousand mailbag questions that are waiting. Uh, if you haven't subscribed already well I, you're probably subscribing already if you're watching this now and if you're listening go over to daily wire and subscribe so you can send in a mailbag question that'll be tomorrow we have a great interview by the way with eric metaxas coming tomorrow over martin luther he refutes some of my uh uh, objections to the corpulent German heretic, and we have a good conversation about his new book, Martin Luther, and uh, and then I'll answer all of your questions. So I am Michael Knowles. This is the Michael Knowles Show. Come back tomorrow. We'll do it all again.
The Michael Knowles Show is produced by Marshall Benson. Executive producer, Jeremy Boring. Senior producer, Jonathan Hay. Supervising producer, Mathis Glover. Our technical producer is Austin Stevens. Edited by Alex Zingaro. Audio is mixed by Mike Coromina. Hair and makeup is by Jesua Olvera. And our associate producer is Bailey Lynn. The Michael Knowles Show is a Daily Wire forward publishing production. Copyright Forward Publishing 2017.